This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Get to go back to back with some Nuggets analysis as we are now joined by our friend uh, Ryan Blackburn. You can follow him on Twitter, NBA Blackburn. Uh, of course, he put together all the content for the Nuggets here at MileHighSports.com and the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. A new one uh, just fresh uh, this morning. Ryan, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, I'm going to step out of the way and let, let you and Sandy have a moment because I think the truth of the matter is the last conversation we had about you were the more way right. Michael Malone uh, coached in the finals. Yep, yeah. I, I think Sandy had it on the head. Uh, you were more right. You uh, saw it in a way that I, uh, we did not. I, I, I still hold to the idea that I thought it was a little odd, but obviously what matters is what uh, Michael Malone did and, frankly, what he didn't do. Uh, and I think he has spoken to this in the past that when he first came here and perhaps as recently as even two, three years ago, last year, perhaps he had a tendency to overcoach. He did not do that uh, in the finals. And the perfect illustration was the way the Nuggets played game five. It was the least efficient offensive game played by any team in the playoffs, not just by the Nuggets in the playoffs, by any team in the playoffs, 94 points on 96 possessions. and. Malone, who is known first and foremost as a defensive-minded coach, had the right people on the floor because they won by five points in a game where they were uncharacteristically inefficient. And he deserves full share of the credit for that. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. And first of all, thanks thanks for having me on. I, I uh... I was willing to put it behind us, Sandy, but but now now we can uh, now we can hash it out for real on on the air. But uh, no, I, I think most important thing that the Nuggets did this year was they held themselves accountable. Uh, they they knew. Uh, I think the the messaging back in training camp was if you want to don't want to talk about it, you want to be about it. And this team, they talked about being a great defensive team. There were a lot of questions as to how they could get there, and, and fair questions for sure throughout the season, but. As the playoffs rolled along, Michael Malone grew more and more confident in his group, understand just, I, I think, the intimacies of, of what kind of defense this team needed to play in order to win a title. And he brought out the best in them. And I, I think challenging Michael Porter, challenging the team, to, making sure not to let them relax, I think that helped them win those next three games in a row. And it was really nice to be able to see uh, that bear out because – there, there were questions. I'm not going to sit here and, and say that it, it was it was perfectly reasonable for him to call out the team. I think I think it, usually in that situation, you trust your guys and say, we'll get the next one. Uh, and, and he didn't do that. He took a little bit more of an aggressive approach. I think the team needed that, uh, and, and it's clear that they responded to it pretty well. Well, they did, and I think they needed the counterbalance that Jokic uh, offered, too. And I, I said at the time I didn't think it was by design but the effect was was the same and I think that depending on the player we're talking about some guys need a kick in the pants and other guys need some stroking and some encouragement and I think one way or the other the players that needed stroking got the stroking and the players that needed a kick in the tail got a kick in the tail and listen I I, I loved what he said after game five, and I wanted to bring that up here with you, that Michael Porter had an impact on the game without 
scoring a lot of points or shooting particularly well. However, when it came to winning time in the final minutes, Bruce Brown was on the court to make maybe the biggest offensive play of the game, the stick back that really cinched the game, I thought, for them. And Michael Porter was on the bench. So I I thought he was able to get the message to Porter that you can be effective in other ways, but when it came down to playing the right people, he chose Brown over Porter in the final minutes of Game 5. It's true. It's it's definitely true. I, I do want to point out, I think, in that game that, that Porter still played a bunch. I think he played over over 32 mm-hmm. minutes or oh, so. Oh, I understand that. I'm and, just saying at the end of the game, remember, they were behind with a minute and a half to go by a point. Yeah. Like it's were. Bruce Brown's in the game. Michael Porter's not in the game. No, absolutely. I mean, do I think that Porter could have crashed the glass and, and made that play? Sure. But I, I know that Bruce Brown was going to make that play. And I, I think I, Michael Malone felt the same way. He knew exactly what what it took in that moment in order to get the team a win, and he trusted the guys, the gritty atmosphere that a 94-89 to game is going to bring out. And and Bruce is just very comfortable in those situations and and had been playing well in that series up until that point. So not really a surprise that he went that direction. And I think that as Michael Porter continues to grow in this league, he's going to be in those situations and he's going to be on the floor at the end of the NBA finals going forward. I I think that that's, that's definitely going to happen. Uh, But in this moment, at this point to get Denver, their first ever title in franchise history, I'm glad that Michael Malone went went with the veteran defensive minded detail oriented guy who could really get those great moves. going. No doubt it was. And it was also quite frankly with Porter jr. The right move Porter jr. Kept them close in the first half where the game could have spiraled a little bit out of control. Uh, Even though the shot was still not falling, uh, there was still effort. There was still work. He ended up with a pretty respectable line on, on, on the whole. And in this case, I think that's part of the maturation of both Malone and Porter Jr. in the understanding that even when the shot isn't falling, uh, we've seen Porter Jr. in previous parts of his career uh, not play the rest of the game. That no longer appears to be a problem. He played the rest of that game. He went after the boards. He did the dirty work. And and the shots that he missed, he missed. They weren't bad shots. He wasn't throwing up heat checks. He was putting up the shots that he was supposed to put up, and they didn't fall. I think we know with his form, they eventually will. That, that stuff happens. But I, I think, again... In Malone's case, that's another reason to give him his credit of understanding that uh, Porter Jr. was doing what he needed to do in the first. He wasn't taking bad shots. He wasn't making bad decisions. They weren't falling, but he was doing the extra work. And then in the end, realized, no, we need a closer here. We need a guy that I know I can count on. I think that's an understanding of how to maximize both of those players. And I think when you look at the, the, the way people tend to look at Porter and his salary, it tends to skew the reality of things. And that's something that in the outside you look into. But as a coach, you can't. You have to look at what can this player bring today. Doesn't matter what he makes. Doesn't matter where he came from. Doesn't matter age. None of that matters. What can they bring today? And I think for the most part, he pushed the right buttons, especially from the Lakers series on. It's hard to complain with 16 and 4, right? Like that's, yeah, that's, it's really hard to complain with 8 and 1 to finish it off. Right. Exactly. Where, where Denver, I don't think that they were that supremely talented over the rest of the pack. Like I, I think that Denver was the best team. I think that bore out, but the, what, what really made the difference in this finals run and in, in the playoffs in general was Denver's belief in their connectivity in each other. Well, that and, was, and yeah. you have yeah. the you continuity, have the, the stability. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have the unbelievable talent with Jokic and, and Murray, of course, rose to the occasion, 
but Porter's ability to play defense at, at different levels, Gordon stepping up in all of these different situations, KCP, Bruce Brown, yeah. Christian Brown. Yeah, you're right. Like it was, it's very, very important that Denver had the connectivity that, that they did. And I, I do think that Michael Malone deserves the lion's share of the credit for that. Jokic is obviously going to get his, and, and he's going to go down as at least a top 20 player of all time. But having a guy in Michael Malone that cultivated that, that belief and that, uh, overall identity from the beginning of his time here. I think you're seeing the the benefits finally being rewarded. Well, I think Ad Jokic, uh, certainly Murray. Uh, I thought Gordon was an unsung hero right throughout the playoffs. Uh, Christian Brown played 24 minutes in the last game. I don't know when the last time was that Christian Brown played as many minutes as he played in game five, but it was a while. And certainly in the playoffs, I think it was a playoff high in minutes. Uh, for Christian so. Brown, although statistically, I suppose he had one game at least in the Miami series where he had 15 points, where he was probably more impactful, but he didn't play as much. Uh, but I, I want to get to the draft last night, and we've been talking a lot about uh, scenarios that could unfold with Bruce Brown or without Bruce Brown. How much of that kind of thinking do you think prevailed in the Nugget War Room, as it were, last night? Uh, does the drafting of these three particular players tell us very much about whether Bruce Brown will come back or not come back, whether the Nuggets expect Bruce Brown to come back or not come back? It's a good question, and, and I don't really have a great answer for you. But what I will say is that I, I don't, I don't either. Anybody... That's why I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anybody that they drafted last night is a Bruce Brown replacement, if that's what you're asking. Good really. point. I, good point. Good I point. I agree Jalen, with that. Like Jalen Pickett is probably the closest guy. He's an abnormal guard who's, who's like great, great passing instincts, great rebounding at the position. But he's not the athlete, and he's not oh, the, the no. versatile guy no that, that Bruce Brown is. And, and that's that's something that I think the Nuggets are going to be missing if they put Pickett out there. Uh, if they put Julian Strother out there, who's their, their first-round pick, who I think is a very talented player and is definitely going to be an interesting piece for Denver, uh, he's he's not ready defensively. There, there's going to be some some growing pains there, and, and sure. he okay. definitely he definitely no isn't doubt. a ball handler by any stretch of the word, which is something that that Bruce Brown brought. So there's going to be there's going to be a lot to to have to figure out whether Bruce Brown comes back or not. But I do think that Denver Nuggets are definitely leaving the door open. Uh, they I think he's kind of operating outside of the the frame of reference for for what Denver's draft was. Uh, just because I think Denver was just trying to get floor spacers, connective right. players, right. smart guys, yeah. not necessarily anything crazy. But uh, Bruce, I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other if he's coming back or not, but I don't think the the draft really changes that perception. I think that's a good point, Ryan, because I, I agree. I think what the Nuggets wanted and when prioritizing the players they did is, is they – they weren't really interested in doing a, a trim at this stage where they're the champions and they're looking to, to continue staying at that level. They're not interested in doing a lot of developing. They want guys, they understand the ceiling may be lower, but they're closer to their, they're closer to ready right now. And that's a big part of what they want. When you look at the roster with or without Bruce Brown, we know that uh, certain guys like uh, Jeff Green, their contract is up uh, with some of the other players deep down the roster contract is up. They still have young guys on contract like Conchar and, uh, you talk about Zeke Naji. 
But what does this team still need to your mind? I know Sandy and I have talked about what we think they still need, and we're not entirely sure they addressed all of it in this draft. But what do you think when you're looking at the pieces of the puzzle, the Nuggets still need to find not necessarily a name of a player, but a type of a player? Well, if Bruce Brown does go, then Denver's still missing that veteran backup ball handler that, that Bruce really brought. Uh, a couple other guys that are also unrestricted free agents for Denver, Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith. Uh, neither of them really proved to be part of the, the playoff rotation or anything like that. But I think if Reggie Jackson had to step in, then he probably would be a decent option for Denver coming off the bench going forward. He, he's somebody that I'm, that I'm watching in free agency, or, or maybe Denver goes a different direction and decides they, they need somebody who can handle a little bit more defensively. Uh, but it's that, it's that backup ball handler position. And then it's the backup front court. I think you, you don't see a lot of big bodies in that front court. I think looking at the depth chart for the center and the power forward positions, and you've got Jokic obviously is your starter. Zeke Naji is currently the backup five. Uh, both uh, DeAndre Jordan and Thomas Bryant are free agents as well as Jeff Green. Whether they come back and, and whether they're at uh, a requisite level, to play in the playoffs again next year, I think remains to be seen. So you're, you're probably looking at least for a little bit of extra size in the front court position and whether Thomas Bryant comes back. Like I actually think that there's, there's a possibility that both Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant are back. And that if you give them a training camp in Denver, they might be a little bit more ready to go to actually help the second unit than they were this last year. Uh, Denver's kind of a, a difficult team to just pop in on uh, during the middle of the season because of how unique the style is. But I, I do think that those guys are that's, – that's what I'm watching from free agency beyond Bruce Brown. Which veterans does Denver bring back? Which uh, positions are they targeting? And uh, if Bruce Brown does come back, then, then I think Denver's – they're still in a great position where there's, there's not a lot of questions to be asked about the roster. It's just about filling in the gaps. I think that's a really interesting point because I've thought about that and I've looked at the free agents too. Now, I think in Reggie Jackson's case, I'm, I'm a little reticent about the age, but when I do look about at, at some around the league, I don't know if there's a lot better choices, but when I do look at uh, uh, big men, backup big men, unless uh, Minnesota absolute fools with Nas Reed and don't get something done, I'm not sure that Thomas Bryant at 25 years old isn't the best choice. And, and we know that he expected to do more. Uh, we know that it did not work out, but you're also talking about a 25-year-old guy that we know has talent, especially as the backup. Now, maybe that he's been with the team, and to be totally honest, with the performance with the Nuggets, probably depressed his market a little bit. I actually think that makes a tremendous amount of sense because I don't see anybody out there that's a better option. You know that Bryant, given the time, can get you double-double type numbers. Now, the Nuggets don't need that from him. But he didn't really pout. He didn't really complain. He wasn't really a problem, even though he went from being a de facto all but starter or sixth man with the Lakers to a non-existent factor with the Nuggets. And I think the fact that that he basically handled that in a professional manner, knowing he was an unrestricted free agent, I think that speaks quite a bit to the kind of person he is. And that might speak to the Nuggets as well. Thomas Bryant's a good character guy. He's a player that, that was on the Washington Wizards with uh, both Jeff Green and Ish Smith at various points, and and they helped him out in uh, in Washington, and I think they helped him out in Denver here, where hey, not not everything's working out that perfectly. Let's see if you can uh, stay connected and 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 stay on track and help the team in a veteran capacity. Uh, but th- there is definitely room for Thomas Bryant to play. He was fantastic for the Lakers during right. the regular season last year. 
Especially and, against and the think, Nuggets. Mm-hmm. Especially against the Nuggets. And, and I think that there's, there's at least a, an option for a regular season backup role for Denver if, if oh, they're willing open. to go that direction. Mm-hmm. Just like you, you're not going to want to play Nikola Jokic a whole you bunch of not. minutes again. I, I think right. the most important thing that Denver can do is make sure to get Jokic and Murray as much rest as they possibly agree can more. during this regular season. Uh, so that they can be be fresh and ready to go for that's, another yeah, deep playoff. That's why I like so, Bryant, and I'm concerned about Jackson. Right. But I like right. those ideas. Right. Uh, absolutely. Very quickly before we let you go, uh, coincidence or by design that these draft picks consisted of a 21-year-old and two 23-year-olds, and one of those 23-year-olds picket will be 24 in October. By design or mere coincidence? Oh, it's absolutely by design. Denver, I think I think if I were to look at the actual draft that they had, every single player that they that they had on their draft board was drafted a little bit higher than I think people anticipated based True. off of the talent. True. What 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 you're looking for for Denver is which guys can contribute right now, have the best chance to contribute over the course of the next two, three, four years at a role player level. And maybe don't have as much of a, a high ceiling as they as they probably would for a rebuilding franchise, and that's that's what those teams would be looking for. But Denver's in a different phase, and and it's not a surprise to me that uh, Calvin Booth decided that he wanted to get as many draft picks into this Nuggets rotation and into their roster as he possibly could. There's a whole bunch of young guys that are young-ish guys that Denver is trying to add at a cheap rate. And I think when you can get as many of those guys that can play, uh, that that really helps out uh, the financial aspect of it, but it also helps out the rotation. They got some shooters. They got high IQ guys. They got guys that understand what they're doing. And, and the older side of it is definitely a big deal. He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you give him a follow at NBA Blackburn, of course, our lead Nuggets analyst at Mile Sports, putting everything together with his podcast. Uh, the Pickaxe and Roll podcast happens, and the newest one, by the way, uh, out today. Make sure you check it out. And, of course, in the offseason, a big one for the Nuggets, MileHighSports.com. Ryan is your guy. Make sure you give him a follow. Thanks so much, my friend. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Ryan Blackburn, joining us there. And uh, the, the, the point You've made this, Sandy, and Ryan just talked about it. I kind of want to dovetail the two together because one of the the decisions the Nuggets may need to make as this championship window stays open, the idea would be kicking that can down the road or maybe avoiding it entirely. They might have been able to go a little bit towards that direction with this draft. I'll explain next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Gonna put the world away for a minute. Pretend I don't live in it. Sunshine. The new CBA is something that unfortunately all the NBA teams are going to have to live in. And for the Denver Nuggets, they're ahead of the curve. They're ahead of the curve in part because they've already. So one week away, by the way. Right. Kicking in. One, right. Way, one week. One week until you can start negotiating with free agents next Friday. The Nuggets as it stands right now, when you're talking about, you know, avoiding the uh, 
restricted free agents and all that sort of stuff, uh, actually, as it stands, have nine players on their roster in total. Uh, you have your, your starting five, of course, Christian Brown, Zeke Naji, Peyton Watson, and Vlatko Chanchar. Right. Other guys are either unrestricted free agents like Bruce Brown, uh, like Ish Smith, Reggie Jackson, Jeff Green, uh, or restricted free agents. The challenge when you have three max players, which the Nuggets do in Jokic, Murray, and Porter, and in Jokic's case, remember, he is a super max player. Murray and Porter make roughly $33 million a year. Jokic next year will make 47.6 due to the right. fact that his max deal right. as an MVP can be larger. So you've talked about it, Sandy, down the road, that it'll still be a couple years, but the Nuggets may end up having to choose between Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. The idea here with this draft and with going with three players is what if they don't? Because Contavious Caldwell-Pope has a player option for the year after next, the 24-25 season. Like almost every player, he will almost certainly take that option and, and see what pastures are, are greener. Perhaps it's with the Nuggets, but perhaps at the age of 31, it you won't be. decline it. Yes. Well, I mean, yes. He'll, he'll, you're correct. Yes. Right. He'll... he'll Choose to, uh, yes, decline the contract. He will right. take his option right. to yes. opt out. Yes. Right. Yeah. So he'll opt out. In search of a longer deal. In search of a longer deal. Uh, at that point, were the Nuggets to retain Bruce Brown, now Bruce Brown can get a longer-term deal, presumably right. in that slot. Right. And, and would take that role. Yeah. Aaron Gordon, the year after that, would have also has a player option, and you would think that the Nuggets would like to get an extension done before that, if at all possible. That would be smart, yes. But they run into money issues with mm-hmm. an exception. Mm-hmm. Because we know that Christian Brown's going to stick. I don't know long-term about uh, Zeke Naji. That may not end up working. It doesn't seem no. as if it's working. No. Peyton Watson uh, may or may not end up being a rotational player. It looks promising. We'll but see. you don't have to worry about it we'll for see. another three years. That's right. Three years after the upcoming three years. They're covered. Now that the guys that you picked, you don't have to worry about them for four. So what we've talked about with the players they have, Julian Strother is an NBA player is he an nba starter no certainly not now and he may never even become one if he does it would be kind of a fringe one but you know what for the nuggets that's fine jalen pickett to me is an nba backup point guard and will be a, a pretty quality one i don't think he'll ever be a starter but a backup okay great and can contribute as such when you talk about hunter tyson a spot shooter off the bench who can rebound probably an nba player in certain roles well now all of a sudden those nine players you have, and let's just assume that the, the Nuggets let Zeke Naji go once he gets restricted free agency next year because it just hasn't worked out. But now you're talking about... Now, he's about, set, by the way, to bank 4.3 next year. Yes. Yes. And that, by the way, is a club option. The Nuggets could choose not to exercise it. The expectation is they would, but uh, th- that is the Nuggets' call in this offseason. But now, all of a sudden, if you look, not this summer, but to next summer, and let's presume that Peyton Watson develops into at least a, a player that stays on this team, which I think is a reasonably safe bet. We think that the three guys they picked for the Nuggets are can be at the end of the bench on an NBA team. Well, now all of a sudden you have guys at basically close to league minimum contracts in Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Julian Strother, Jalen Pickett, Hunter Tyson. That's five guys off your bench that are basically making minimum that are young and don't make much money. No, well, now you're 10 deep because you got your starters. The The idea of picking three guys here, Sandy, that have high floors, if low ceilings. We kind of, as you pointed out, yeah. 23, 24, you kind of know who the guy is. 
And with Pickett and Tyson, that's where they are. You kind of know who they are. But who they are is guys that will make an NBA team. Well, I, I think you know who Strother is. I know he's only 21. He only played three years. Right. But the other two guys played five years. I, I was wrong earlier. I think I said 5-4-4. Four, four. It's actually 5-5 five, five, and 3 for Strother. But the other two guys played five years and took advantage of the COVID. But, I mean, yeah, your whole bench, that's one five guys off your bench but, that but, will be on like, exactly league minimum right. deals that yeah, are all that, young. I, I, absolutely right. And I, I think your roster is filled out. That These picks, yes, they're basketball picks. And we talked a lot about their basketball qualities because, frankly, it's more interesting. I assume for the audience, uh, it's more interesting and less interesting to talk about cap stuff. Right. And new CBAs kicking in. But, boy, the CBA is a big alteration right. from what you're used to. But you have to talk about, in terms of team building, you have to talk about scouting. You have to talk about drafting. You have to talk about trades. You have to talk about free agent acquisitions. And just as importantly, at least as importantly as those things, you have to talk about cap management. And the Nuggets continue to excel in that area because they're conscious of it. And they don't have to roll the dice, as we're seeing so many teams do now. Good teams rolling the dice and putting everything into next year and then after next year, uh, trying to figure things out, probably with a very different team the following year. The Nuggets will have next year, again, some of it depends on whether Brown comes back or not, but essentially the same team they had this year. And in 24-25, they'll have essentially the same team they had in 23-24. After that, yeah, there could be, changes but for the next two years this is a pretty stable situation and for a team that has one guy on a supermax and two guys on max right. deals and gordon's pretty close to that I, I mean it's a remarkably good job and, and and that's where i i i think we just all have to be conscious of doling out credit where credit is due and balancing off credit. It's great to have the best player in the world for the last three years. Uh, yes, it is. It's great to have a coach who may occasionally stumble, but seems to be growing. Uh, maybe he had a setback two years ago in the 21-22 season, but handled things, especially during the playoffs, as well as you can handle them. And during the games was not vacillating back and forth, running hot on some guys and then turning on the same guys if they didn't play well and benching them. I mean, he, he really did, I think, find a way to both keep players encouraged but play the guys at the end of close games who gave his team the best chance to win. And it's hard to balance those things out, and I thought he did a very good job, a surprisingly good job, in my view, of balancing those things out and not making the burden fall completely on the shoulders of Jokic and Murray 
game after game after game. That's why they went 16 and four, in my opinion. And I thought their response after game two in the finals was about as good as any response I've ever seen for a team in an analogous situation. And, of course, there didn't need to be any response to the other bad game they played in the finals, and that frankly was game five, where they, at least on offense, were pretty much awful. And I thought both Jokic and Murray actually were better on defense in game five than they were on offense in game Uh, five. Yes, I agree with that. Right? Murray Mm -hmm. had 14 points. Did not shoot well. Jokic had a had a good game, an efficient game, but I thought his defense, certainly in game four, was better than his offense. In game five, I thought it was better than his offense, too, if, if not by much. But it was the team that Booth put the finishing touches on. So you're you're comfortable, it seems, then, knowing that... And he's that, made five draft picks right. in two years, and I like all five. And if we talk about five, and, and there's a chance, by the way, that all five of these guys are on the roster... So you exactly. are less concerned about Malone's not only these former reticence, but also uh, acumen at deploying these guys than we were a year ago. Well, yeah. I, I mean, Brown was a rookie, and instead of saying, I don't trust any rookies, he especially when it grow. really matters, and bench that rookie, and again, I will say at the time and now, I thought he was correct in taking him out of game three of the Western Conference Finals, not putting him back in, and then benching him and not playing him at all in game four. I just thought during the Lakers series, the matchups weren't as good for Christian Brown. He reached the same conclusion, Mm -hmm. in effect. And so I, I totally agree with his usage of Brown in the Western Conference Finals, even his non usage of Brown at the end of that series, but it was different against the Heat. He pretty much, game by game, showed more trust in Christian Brown because Christian Brown gave him a reason to show more trust. And it started with eight minutes in game one, which surprised me, frankly. I didn't think he'd play in game one. Mm -hmm. He got eight minutes in game one. Got a few more in game two. And by the end of the series, he played three times as much as he had in game one. By game five, he was playing 24 minutes instead of eight. So, yes, he was still a rookie in game five just as much as he was in game one, but he earned the trust of the coach, and I thought he earned more trust than he got, especially early in the season, first half of the season, from the coach. But I thought he earned the trust in the playoffs, re-earned that trust, and the coach trusted him because I think the coach saw how his teammates were reacting to Christian Brown. And I'm glad Christian Brown is a fan favorite. He should be. But you don't play guys because they're fan favorites. You play guys because they're producing. And you definitely don't play when you're fan favorites when you're going for a ring. You don't. Absolutely not. You don't care about that. Right. That's irrelevant. And you see, since the season ended, and these guys are out in public quite a bit, you see 
why Christian Brown was worth trusting, one, and two, why his teammates like him, and why his coach came to trust him a hell of a lot more than he trusted him earlier in the season. He was still a rookie at the end, but you know what they say, by by the end of a long playoff run, maybe you're not a rookie anymore. Right. And Michael Malone uh, reacted accordingly. And I, I think you have people in Strather, Pickett, and Tyson who will not be any coaches whipping boys, mm-hmm. right? right? They won't be in the so-called doghouse. I wouldn't think so because right? they make the right decisions for the most because part. Because they're pros. They're going to make rookie mistakes. I mean, they're professional people in the college ranks who have played five years, five years, and three years of college basketball. That's 13 years of collective experience among these three picks. Um, Watson didn't stay long at UCLA, but Brown stayed several years at Kansas. So four out of the five picks are veterans part of outstanding programs for the most part. And they're old souls, it would seem. Now, we don't know them, but from all the descriptions that I've read of each of these three guys, they come in here as older players for rookies, but wise beyond their years. And hopefully ready to step in and contribute if necessary. In and a pinch. And a understand pinch. that it's yeah. quite possible you may not be seeing the four, and development is what you're going to be doing. Exactly. Well, the Nuggets uh, have, have done their thing to maybe alter the way that the NBA works. And over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with the direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code Mile High, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. It means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code Mile High. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And I, I think, Sandy, we're on to a discussion that I think is interesting. We've, we've talked about the players. We've talked about the talent. What is Michael Malone now as a head coach? What has changed as after after changing the way he coached and then winning a whole thing? How does he change looking forward? One of the major parts of the Nuggets we haven't really looked at going into next year, but what might it look like given the way we've seen Michael Malone's evolution? We can talk about that next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Okay, Danny Bailey in the booth. What's uh, what's what's the country mood today? What's going on there? I don't know. I just felt just like just doing feeling some country. It? Just feeling it it's on a Friday. Friday yeah, All I don't right. play a lot of country, no. so I figured I would I mix just, it up I'm a just little curious, bit. Thought it asked. Yeah, yeah. You know. Danny's in charge of that stuff. You know, we don't we don't not well. We have nothing to do. I, one, I, know, I, I don't even nothing. know how to make it work so i mean I, I can't help there but yeah but we, we leave that in the expert hands of uh of danny bailey the idea that now that ember nuggets you know we saw the draft we'll find out about bruce brown that will dictate the rest of the offseason for the nuggets it will not be a splashy offseason 
for the Denver Nuggets, obviously. They there's hope only, so. There's only so <laughs> they much. Hope yeah. be You'd love to get Bruce Brown back and yeah. more or less call it good. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe you return right. a Thomas Bryant or right. get some right. well, that's a couple veteran minimums for, and for later on. But yeah. yeah. But uh, the, but again, that's not splashy. It's it's Bruce Brown is going to be your news one way or the other, and then we'll see. But the idea now that we that I talked about just a couple minutes ago, that the five draft picks that Calvin Booth has made in the last two drafts may very well all be on this roster next Could be. year. And that would be a tremendous asset for the Nuggets when you're talking about this new CBA. Im- immensely valuable if you could have that many guys on rookie contracts that stick. Michael Malone changed, and you, I think, illustrated that very, very well in the way he handled Christian Brown. And it's worth noting that as a rookie, Bones Highland played significant Oh, he, made, he played a lot more than, uh, than, than Christian, Christian Brown, Brown did. Played. So it's not as if it's a brand new thing that Malone has played rookies. Uh, but at the same time, the evolution of Michael Malone, especially in this playoffs, was fascinating. You know, we talked about it a little bit with Ryan Blackburn, and and at times it seems like he was getting a little hard on them. And then all of a sudden, and and uh, Michael Malone just kind of backed off, and the Nuggets took off. And Malone seemed to very much enjoy, you know, wearing his uh, "Put this in your pipe and smoke it" shirt to the uh, to to the parade. Enjoy the fact. Has he learned? And and obviously, I mean, winning a championship changes a coach. It's it's the, it's the goal. It's the reason you do it. You're an NBA coach because you want to win a title, and you don't know how to do it until you do it. Michael Malone has now done it. Do you expect him to be notably different going forward? Because I think all the writing is on the wall that that a change in the way he coaches, the the tightness with which he holds the reins, is probably going to be different. Well, I think Michael Malone early on in his coaching career, and again, I can't speak for what he did in Sacramento because he wasn't there long enough and we didn't follow it closely enough. But um, I I think intensity was something he uh, he felt he needed to show all the time early on here. Mm -hmm. I agree with that completely. I, I think that may have waned a bit. And if there was a balance that was fairly equal between nurturing and being demanding, uh, I think he found that balance certainly in the playoffs. And I would hope that maybe there'd be still, now that the Nuggets have won and he has a title to his credit, a little more nurturing. Uh, I'm not saying you can't be demanding, Mm -hmm. and there aren't times two, three, four times a year where you can go off on your team and it has an impact. I I think when you do it more than that, and I thought certainly prior to this year, he was doing much too much of that. Every time they lost, it seemed, he especially when they lost badly, he would go off and question their effort. uh, We got to play with more commitment and all that stuff. And they needed more around Jokic. And I think deep down he knew. And I I get that the coach's job is to operate in the short term, and it's the executive's job to think more long term. He's thinking game to game. Right. But I don't think there's anything wrong with being maybe now that he's won a little more paternalistic and a little less demanding and fiery. I think he found that balance on the bench. I mean, with a few exceptions in the 
playoffs. I I thought in in game two of the finals, he was clearly uptight. Right. Now his team wasn't playing very well, but I thought uptight's again, the right way to some, put it. Some of his I agree with that statements between games had a little bit to do with that. So uh, yeah, I would say more paternalistic. The 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 idea here, I think, that's interesting when you're talking about the you know sort of uh, whatever we'll call it running your team down for lack of a better term. Yeah. It also becomes more. Uh, it's it's not only an evolution from Malone, but it's an evol- you have to understand that you know what this team, at least the majority of your players who are all still around, they've also won championship together now too, and yes. so your opportunities you have to relax because you know what you're running the risk of them tuning you out faster because they're all, they're human beings. They're going to look at me and go, wait a minute. I want a championship for you, dude. So, so now that those, those moments where you can really step on the gas as a head coach, they become a little more fraught because your players know what they accomplished and you have to alter the way you coach because they're aware of what they can do. And, and, it's, it sounds very simple because you're like, well, no problem. They all got, they were all on the same page and they won a title. But it's not. Michael Malone, I think when you're talking about being more paternal, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a hope. I think it's a has to because players are going to be able to say, wait a minute, we, we won. I know what I'm doing. I understand how this works. And, and they don't always. It doesn't mean you don't still need coaching. You do. But there is a, there is a dynamic that's, in play for the Denver Nuggets going forward that was not before. This is no longer a franchise that has never won a title. This is no longer a roster that's never won a title. This is no longer a coach that's ever won a title. And that means that everybody won, and you have to back off a little bit and rely now on the fact we've done this before. I don't have to ride you. Now it's now it's given the big hug, and guys, we've done this. We've right. done this. It's, it's okay. It's not all one way or all the Let's other way. Let's just tighten up a little bit. Paternalistic. Relax. That, that paternalistic does not mean soft. Uh, no. Does not mean soft. And I think it's perfectly okay if the Nuggets get a few perhaps rude reminders next year that there's a target on their back. Uh, I don't think that's bad either. That they may not be totally ready for and for Malone to alert them to that possibility and react maybe somewhat harshly if they are victimized by it, perfectly appropriate. But I, I stick to the idea, and I've, I've heard this from coaches who at one time in their coaching lives went off a lot more than two or three or four times a year, but learned as they got older. I think older, you do a podcast with one, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, I do. Uh, but he's not the only one. Right. George is not alone in that no. respect. But I think that the sense now is, I think this is true with college coaches too. And college coaches, listen, they're going to be there if they're good ones long after the players they're coaching mm-hmm. at a particular time leave. Yeah. So they can afford to sometimes act any way they choose. But even the the best college coaches understand. And I'll use Calipari as an example. We talked about him earlier. I'll use Bill Self as an example. Both can be demanding. Both can be tough. But at least for public consumption, 
they aren't habitually running down their players. Right. Not by a long shot. They could if they wanted to, but one of the reasons I think that Kansas does well with the transfer portal is because self is not a maniac. Now, Calipari runs a different kind of program where he can recruit talent and he doesn't need the transfer portal Mm -hmm. nearly as much. But I, I think behind closed doors, maybe both coaches are a little less nurturing, a little more demanding, and they'll call anybody on their stuff if if need be. I mean, Calipari got all over uh, Sheepway this year, but mostly behind closed doors and, mm-hmm. and not publicly. Not publicly. And, and I think that's a big, and, that's and so, a big point. I, I think with the Nuggets now, there isn't the need. Behind closed doors, do what you want, but for public consumption, there isn't the need to remind them, and I'll be more than happy if I never hear this phrase again, we haven't done anything yet. Right. Because they have done something now, That to your point. Right. And, and so some of these things have to go away, and it will be interesting to see how it shakes out on the bright side. Everything you've seen from Michael Malone indicates that uh, maybe, maybe, there was a, maybe there was a pretty chill guy in there waiting to get out. We'll find out. He looked enough. like a pretty chill guy uh, when the Jokic brothers were tossing him in uh, the air. He sure did, and 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 he just got his uh, he just got his tattoo and everything. Seems like uh, the you know Michael Malone's uh, easing up a little bit, and and good for him. He deserves it. Uh, not a lot of coaches have done what he's done. Oh, look at the number of NBA coaches we've talked who about haven't it. won championships. Uh, yeah, it's yeah uh, a lot more than the ones that have for sure. It's been a lot of fun breaking this down with you, of course. Uh, still a big time for the Denver Nuggets, and uh, you have maybe a quiet handful of days because on this one week from today, negotiations to start for free agency. It comes at you quick. Thanks to everybody who joined us on the uh, the website, My Life Sports. Uh, My Life Sports, you can watch or listen. You can do the same on the app. That's the easiest way and maybe even the best way. Just grab the app, and it's all on demand, everything we do at the station. And everyone listening over the air, we appreciate that, too, wherever you Thankfully, are. Thankfully, we don't have to scamper out of here. Unlike yesterday. Like yesterday. In fact, yeah, just a you know, normal kind of uh, pleasant day. Hopefully that rolls into a safe and happy weekend for you because we want to see you back right here on Monday when we return. For Danny Bailey in the booth, for Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening. Keep it right here on My High Sports. It's five o'clock somewhere.